Jonathan Flynn, and this is the Interim Leader Podcast, brought to you by Odgers Interim, the UK's largest provider of interim management services. My guest today is Bill Grimsey. Bill has worked for over 40 years in the retail sector, both in the UK and internationally, for businesses including Tesco, Park and Shop in Hong Kong, Wix, The Big Food Group, and Focus DIY. He's witnessed the changes in the high street from local retail to the rollout of national brands in the race for space to the creation of out-of-town superstores and retail parks, the inception of the internet and online retail to the current day. Bill is passionate about the retail sector and since leaving corporate life has dedicated his time to lobbying for change with both central and local government to regenerate UK towns and cities. His most recent report, Build Back Better, was written in the midst of the COVID-19 pandemic, which further impacted UK retail and has seen many businesses struggle for survival. Bill is a regular commentator on the future of retail on the high street on both television and radio, and I'm delighted to welcome him to the Interim Leader podcast today. Welcome, Bill. Thank you, Jonathan. Nice to be here. Bill, you wrote the Grimsey Report in 2013 during the last recession after a spell where the UK had thrived in a consumer credit boom. What prompted you to write about the demise of the high street? Well, when I retired from corporate life in 2012, I I wanted to do something other than go straight to the golf course, as it were. So I wrote a book called Sold Out, Who Really Killed the High Street? I had ambitions to sell three copies, one to me and one to each of my granddaughters. I'm pleased to say that I've now got five grandchildren, so my sales have more than doubled in that time, which is quite good. But it was that book that led me to really question what my career and what had happened during my career had really done and what was the legacy we left behind and and just what are we facing into in the future. With that in mind, that's what spawned the book. And then the Mary Portas Review was commissioned in 2011 by uh, government and I was pretty critical of that because I didn't think that it really highlighted what the challenges were and uh, got government to understand exactly how they could contribute and as a consequence we had the Portas towns and we had a television program and all that kind of stuff and it, it was more razzmatazz than substance instead of criticizing i said to some friends and experts in their fields why don't we put up or shut up so i sponsored the grimsey review 2013 and i got nine authors to contribute and it seemed to go down very well as a consequence of that we then started to engage with local governments who were starting to ask the question what is it that you're talking about here what is this community hub idea why is retail not the main driver behind our town centres in the future? Fantastic. With the recent announcement of the collapse of the Arcadia Group, which could see the closure of 500 stores and 13,000 jobs, and this is on the back of six months where other retailers have made redundancy and store closure announcement, did you ever think things would get this bad? I always knew that things were going to get bad, but I didn't expect them to get bad this quickly. People weren't listening. There's a chapter in my book from 2012 called The Lemmings Property People. I called them Lemmings. They were all headed for the cliff edge. And it kind of left me dumbfounded. Why would people keep building all this retail space when it was pretty obvious to me that we've got too much retail space to begin with? It might not be the right retail space and you may have to open new stuff and close stuff, but you needed to repurpose a lot of buildings in this country because they were going to be no longer required. But of course, I hadn't predicted COVID, um, who would? And this pandemic has done in six months, which would have taken another 10 years. 
we, as a result, as a nation, we, we got up to about 40% of retail online in March, April of this year. And I think it settled back to around 30%, whereas pre-COVID, it was 18 to 20%. And everybody was saying it'll peak at 30% around 2030. Well, here we are, 2030 yeah. already. And as a consequence, that has put pressure on, on retail space. I would like to just say that I don't think that all the bricks and mortar retailers out there can point to COVID as the reason why they're in this demise. They were going that way anyway. Retailers fail because their proposition is no longer relevant to the target customer that they're aiming at. And the, what I call retail boot hill, the graveyard there is full of really big names that at one stage were the biggest retailers in the country. Woolworths is, is a classic example to look at. When I was a lad, Woolworths was in every town in this country. And it was the biggest seller of confectionery. Even when it went bust, it was still the biggest retailer of confectionery in the country. And yet it still went to the wall. And the reason being is that consumers and their requirements overtook Woolworths and they didn't reinvent themselves. And as a retailer, you learn this at a very young age. You never, ever arrive. And once you think you've arrived, you will start to go backwards. I used to say this to the people in the companies I ran. It's like wheeling out a market stall every morning into that marketplace. Yours has to be better, brighter, have more relevance about it than anybody else's if you are going to have a good day. Mm. It's as simple as that. In retail, it's no different. You have to constantly reinvent yourself. There's some great examples out there, even big ones. I mean, look at Tesco. Look at how focused it became in the 80s when I was there. Um, Ian McLaurin was the chief executive and chairman. A great leader, by the way. He was obsessed with overtaking Sainsbury's. And by 1996, they achieved that goal. Terry Leahy then took over. He built an international business that was bigger than Sainsbury's here. So they not only overtook Sainsbury's, they went more than double the size of Sainsbury's here and they built an international one. But what happened to Tesco when its eye was taken off this UK product? It started to go backwards. So the goose that was laying the golden egg was just being flogged to death to mm -hmm. invest overseas and not least of all in the US, which was a folly anyway. And it started to go backwards. So it's not just about circumstances that drive businesses to the demise. It's usually got something to do with the board, the chief executive, and the emphasis that they're putting on what the future looks like. Mm. You raise a point about COVID having accelerated this change in demise, but what retail chief executive could have ever foreseen the, the change in consumer buying patterns to bring us to where we are now? All of them could have. Really? That, that's that's the point. I mean, it was pretty obvious to me back in 2012 when I retired, the online shopping environment was going to grow. You know, don't forget, we didn't get smartphones until the late noughties. So they're not that old yet. But these mobile devices were offering a platform that enabled convenience to go to another level. We love convenience because time is important to us. And using our time for stuff we want to do is better than going shopping. 
particularly food shopping. If you can do it online and you use technology to give you the reminders of the products that you need, etc., why not? And what's happened is that during COVID, people have been forced to try and get online with the big four supermarkets. They've seen the sales go through the roof. Their problem is that that model doesn't make as much money as, as the old bricks and mortar model. They hadn't quite got to the bottom of all the costs surrounding an online business. Of course, once they start to cannibalize, if you like, sales from a bricks and mortar store to an online platform, you're not growing your total sales, you're just switching it from one stream which is more profitable to one that's not. Uh, so that's, that's a big challenge for them. But nevertheless, I've done my own research during COVID with a lot of people, and my friends are, are, are more aged if you like, because that's my time of life. They won't go back. They can't believe how good it is to have delivered to your door the products that you want. Could you have seen that back in 2012? Well, I would argue you could. What you couldn't do is see it in 1998 when the, the dot-com boom hit the market. And I remember, I was at Wix at the time, I remember coming under pressure in 97 and 98 from my chairman. Why aren't you going on, in, on the internet? And I said, because it's too early. I don't know enough about it. I don't think the model works. We've still got a lot to do with the repositioning of our bricks and mortar stores. It's not for now. And I was right because it was too early. It wasn't until the mid-noughties and, of course, Amazon coming along that you saw these models take a different shape. It's all right having a 2020 vision with hindsight, I suppose. But think about it. This whole technology thing is going to take on a completely different nature. It's going to dovetail into climate change. And even Amazon are now working on being carbon free by a certain date, etc., etc. So what's the future for bricks and mortar retailing down the track? Well, it, in the terms of scale, it's actually not great. But in terms of a different experience, it could be huge. So I'm talking about independent retailers now, uniqueness, and I'm talking about chain store retailers doing stuff that interfaces with their, their online model in a completely different way. So for example, I mean, I think the fashion business model is bust, completely bust. Think about it. So you've got work in progress, finished goods, stuff at the docks, stuff on ships, all coming across at the beginning of the seasons, the price is up the top. At the end of the season, it has to be a clearance sale. They run out of sizes because their predicting models don't work. And the working capital tied up is huge. Imagine my granddaughters going to a showroom in the middle of a, a town or a mall that, that just had a booth where there'll be hologram fashion models walking towards them on a catwalk. And they'll be able to change what these, these models are wearing, mix and match. Then they'll say, oh, I want to see myself in that one. Stand up in front of a mirror and they'll be wearing it. Yeah. It, this technology exists today, but it's still a little bit primitive. Why not make it within 24 hours? Just think about all the working capital you've just taken out of a model because of technology and it brings manufacturing back here because you've cut out all that other working capital tied up in transportation you ought to be able to afford the labor to do it right now is that is that likely to happen well it could but the fact is what i'm imagining is quite logically sensible yeah and chief executives 
job is to get people around them to imagine every now and again, take some time out from the business and imagine 10 years time. What's logically sensible? And what should we be doing with our brand today to move towards that? You know, who would have said back in 2006 that Topshop would yeah. be buffed within 12 years? Who would have said that? Right. Start yeah. imagining the unimaginable. You know what? When I started out, it was pounds, shillings and pence. Everything was in the high street. There was no out-of-town retailing. Everything was priced up. There was no EPOS. And then you wave forward 40 years of a career and look at technology and how it developed. So you've got to imagine the unimaginable and start to think about this. And this is where I think stakeholder capitalism has a role to play rather than just shareholder capitalism. Because if you think about stakeholder capitalism, what it's saying is that instead of creating a model that leaves a great gaping hole in a, a town centre with an empty shop and leaves an investor in that property up the creek without a paddle, reluctant to reprice that asset on its balance sheet because that would then be a big write-off. So they try not to do that. Instead of that, you've got a stakeholder capitalism where the owner of that property has a stake in the, in the business that is in it. And if they are working together, which is where turnover rents come from, you need to be working together because the success of whatever commercial entity is occupying a property is the success of the owner. And it's this kind of getting stakeholders in towns to get alignment rather than operate in market silos that I think will come out of COVID and come out of these dramatic changes where retail is no longer going to be the main reason why you go to a town. What do you think those reasons will be? What you need is a community hub which is based on health, education, entertainment, leisure, experiences, arts, crafts, heritage and curate the space around all of that which will drive footfall and guess what you'll get shops as well so that's a slightly different way of looking at it than saying you've got to have shops and you've got to have anchor tenants 20th century model which is bust doesn't work we're blessed in this country with towns that have got huge heritage and all of them are different so if you think about my career i did three things that i looking back need unpicking now but one of them was going out there and cloning every town in the UK, making them all look the same. But the exciting thing is that you can now create a town as a brand and you can start to market it as a place for people to live, work, play and visit because, and it's the because that's the important thing. And that requires chief executive leadership in the authorities that are there for the custodians of these places and that happens to be the local authorities my belief is that we need commercial people running these places with the ability to lead and to bring all stakeholders whether that be the community at large business improvement districts community improvement districts leps institutions hospitals educations the whole thing into a room and to come up with ideas and then go out and test them you have to be careful with that because i mean i think that famous ford statement was he didn't believe in market research because if he'd have asked people what they wanted they'd have said they wanted a faster horse 
I'm an advocate of pedestrianisation in town centres and I believe that mobility will change. I think you'll have mobility hubs. I think the whole question of clean energy, scooters, ways into towns, electric vehicles, etc., will completely transform these places and, th and we need to pedestrianise them. We need green pocket parks in the middle of these towns and we need to make them pleasant places to go and you can curate them with your own brand. For example, if you go to Nottingham, you have to hunt for Robin Hood. That's a brand to die for, isn't it? You know, you can curate a place in a different way and get the whole community behind it. You know, I'm gabbling on a bit now, Jonathan, but the fact is, isn't it a wonderfully exciting future? Try and reimagine those places. The second thing that I got wrong in my career, there was a cohort of about six or seven of us. We were fresh food experts in the 70s that completely deseasonalized fresh food in this country through the use of worldwide chain store distribution, technology that it gave us just-in-time deliveries, multi-temperature sites. We made produce available 365 days of the year. That needs to be unpicked because my granddaughters aren't going to want French beans flown in from Kenya every day. They know it's killing the planet. There's an opportunity to reinvent fresh food distribution and a fresh food and knowledge transfer and make it an experience. I mean, you will have been to Borough Market in London, I'm sure. Yeah. Imagine these rural market towns being mini Borough Markets because when you look at these places, and I go around them a lot, some of them have markets four times a week, and they're boring. They haven't changed for the last 50 years. Yeah. But make, make them exciting, pedestrianise the area, put underground power so you can get al fresco through the winter, and, and celebrate local produce. You've covered a lot there, Bill, but where we are now? I understand your vision for these community hubs where there's more bars, restaurants, office space, parks, green areas, good accessibility, all of those kind of things. Does the high street in its current form, is it going to get worse before it gets better? I see this vision. I understand what you're, you're striving for, but how is that going to be achievable? Well, it's going to get worse before it gets better. And some towns are going to get completely left behind. Yeah. And there's a, there's a socioeconomic reason for that. And the political arena is the cause of some of this problem. A town's task force, which is what the government has got up and running, can only be helpful if it's talking about methodology and trying to help local leaders understand what methodology they need to employ to come up with their answers. Mm -hmm. their answers will be different to everybody else's there's no silver bullet the people that have the answers to this are the local community themselves local authorities need to unlock that what we need to do is get localism on steroids and we need to get the right local leaders capturing this and getting movements together if you like get these communities working together to make change happen what that will then do is create local economies that are quite prosperous now i believe that the way we're going to recover from covid is not through a centrally driven economic model although big investments in infrastructure and stuff like that is important the real recovery is going to come from successful local economies getting their act together looking at the future doing the imagining that we spoke about at the beginning of this chat, 
starting to invest in 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 enterprise that will use technology and capture the imagination of the young generation and then i think we will will make huge strides so what can leaders of uk retail businesses do now bill to slow the demise they can't slow the demise Uh, what they can do is reinvent their product tomorrow morning when they wheel their stall out into the marketplace it has to be a little bit different you know the chief executives of retail businesses it's a very challenging place to be you never get it right you never arrive and you have to constantly look forward take your team with you and start imagining what you need to change in order to stay one step ahead those chief executives are few and far between when they come along they're usually very good do we need more people from outside the retail sector, do you think? Oh, we do. The woman that's gone into John Lewis, she makes my heart soar like an eagle. <laughs> I mean, she is thinking about the model completely differently. and She's taking bold, courageous steps, but she's also talking about how to redefine things. She's a very comprehensive leader, and she's looking at it completely differently. John Lewis and Waitrose cover most of your expenditure in the, in the house. You know, they do your clothes, they do your furniture, they do, they sell you the food. So she's saying, step back guys, let's look at how we engage with these home units and build propositions online predominantly using technology to interface and fulfillment models through click and collect. How do we engage right from the young people through to the old people uh, for their home? The answer to your question is yes, I would like to see more out coming to these bigger places outside of retail and bringing to the business model challenge a wider perspective because I think they'll come up with all sorts of brilliant ideas. What worries me, Billy, is while all this has been sorted out through central government, local government, UK retail leaders, landlords and all of this stuff going on at the moment is that Amazon is just getting stronger and stronger while UK retail continues to go into free fall. Is it going to get to a point where these pure play online retailers are just so far ahead while entrepreneurs, retail businesses, brands have to reinvent themselves from scratch? Is it too far gone? Well, with Amazon, yes, probably. But then you've got to start thinking about how do you regulate these large corporations it's the same digitally you know facebook microsoft these are huge much bigger than countries as economies and they have a huge influence on the planet so we have to engage with them in a different way as a human society if we're going to be successful and not completely condemn the planet to an unusable place like we've drifted towards we have to put a different value set in place And there's nothing wrong with being successful, but you need to make sure that a lot of it goes back into the very place where your success is being generated from. Unfortunately, everybody looks to return on investment straight away, rather than the fact that short-term return on investment for long-term failure is is stupid. I mean, that's a key thing facing retail businesses now. There needs to be some brave decisions made around facing off to investors or shareholders to say, in this day and age now, you need to reinvest in the business because this is the technology we need to be able to engage people on High Street. This is the technology we need to become a truly omni-channel business so that we have a single view of the customer. They can communicate, transact with us at any time through any channel. 
But the question is, who's going to stand up and have that conversation with investors? I think brave chief executives, chief executives with courage, are the ones that you should look to to do it. Unfortunately, it usually comes about because the business is in difficulty. So you bring in someone with a bit of courage and having the courage to go to other stakeholders in the business, in most public businesses, that's the shareholders, and saying, look, we've got all this debt, but actually we've got to take it off the balance sheet and we've got to reset the dials. This is what the vision of the business looks like. We've got to take it from here to there means investing in technology. And I'll do it with a mixture of of debt, but I need to do it with convincing you to invest for a return. Got to have a good story and you've got to be very persuasive to do it. Unfortunately, that only gets done when you're in a crisis. We talked about what the, the high street looks like in years to come, community hubs. Focusing on the next 10 years, we're in 2020. In, t- in 2030, some of these big brands are going to have disappeared. We've got social commerce on the rise. We've got new brands coming to the fore, like a Gymshark, you know, Gucci and b- business like that, incredibly uh, strong through social commerce. What do you think the high street's going to look like 10 years from now? Because I think a lot of the things that we've talked about in terms of community hubs and all that, they're going to take huge amounts of investment, huge amounts of collaboration from different parties coming together. I can't see that being achieved in 10 years. Where do you think we're going to be? See, I, I think you can achieve a lot in that 10 years. I think the first thing that will happen is that these places will, in 10 years' time, be, first of all, pleasant to visit. Now, what does that mean? I think it means pedestrianised. So I think there'll be carless in that sense. I think you're therefore going to have to have a mobility programme that gets people there in different ways. In 10 years' time, the technology that will exist in our high street will be very different. I advocated in 2013 that you put Wi-Fi in the town centre. And not all towns have done it yet. I mean, here we are in 2020. You can go to Costa Coffee and sit there all day on your computer because they give free Wi-Fi and you drink lots of coffee. Whereas a clue there, what do I think about 10 years' time? I think technology will change the face of the whole thing. It will be an application-based marketing tool that will facilitate the communication of what the experience is in those towns. Are you optimistic about the future for Rita? Yeah. Am I? I think it's hugely exciting. I don't know what it looks like, but it's going to look extremely different. I mean, like I talked about earlier, in terms of fashion, certainly by the end of the century, that will happen. So, you know, it's coming. It beggars belief what you can do with technology today in town centres. And I, I think that there are young entrepreneurs out there in COVID that know what to do with this stuff and they will make things happen. They just need leadership and help. I mentioned you before the, the conversation, but there's going to be an ongoing series of podcasts. We've touched on so many things today, digital transformation, the creation of community hubs. There's so much to talk about, and this is going to be an ongoing series. So I'd be delighted for you to come back when we have future guests for your commentaries as the conversation progresses. But um, I can't thank you enough for your time and insight today, Bill. It's been an absolute pleasure talking to you. It's a pleasure, Jonathan. I've enjoyed it and uh, look forward to an interchange with people at the coalface. Fantastic. Thank you to everyone who's joined us for this episode of The Interim Leader. If you've enjoyed the podcast, please like, subscribe and follow for more insights from our network of consultants, clients and interim managers. Mm -hmm.